0: I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're talking in this, in this series about the fact that Jesus is coming soon. He's, he's come, his coming is imminent. It could happen at any time. And it's a major teaching in the New Testament that we should live with an eager expectancy that the Lord could come at any time, and at any time we might find ourselves standing before him and the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, this often, the modern church has lost this sense of imminency. And so we, we don't, it doesn't seem to factor in, in our thinking as it ought to. And so in this series, we're talking about dual imminency because in the scriptures, there are two things that are imminent. That is, they will happen suddenly without warning. Uh, they will take us all by surprise. Uh, and that is, first of all, that Jesus will come for his church, for his bride, uh, in the rapture, and that is something that will happen imminently. But also, the Bible describes the start of the day of the Lord as imminent. Now, This is a time of, of divine judgment and wrath that's coming on the earth, that, 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 that will lead up to the second coming. So, It's described in the book of Revelation, for example, in chapter 6 to chapter 19, a whole sequence of judgments of the, the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of wrath. It's a whole period of time called the tribulation, called the day of the Lord, where God's judgments will escalate and increase on the earth until the great and awesome day of the Lord, when Jesus himself comes in power and glory to complete this time of judgment. And so the Bible talks about the day of the Lord being uh, starting imminently. And We saw that uh, from the teaching of Jesus up to now in this series, we've focused on the teaching of Jesus that describes this dual imminency. So Jesus is going to come and he's going to initiate the judgments of the tribulation on the earth. And at the same time, he is going to rapture his church out of here praise God and both events are imminent which means they must happen at the same time and and we one illustration of that was was Noah in the flood because he says on the very same day that Noah was and his family the believers were taken into the ark praise God Um, then the floodwaters fell and so Noah was, as it were, removed from the scene of judgment into the ark of salvation, uh, and which was then lifted above the judgment, the waters of judgment that cover the whole earth. In the same way, Jesus, when he comes, is going to receive his church into himself. He's the ark of salvation. And we will be lifted up above the, the judgment that then will be poured out across the whole earth, uh, from which there will be no escape. The judgments of the tribulation. And so this is imminent. He says these judgments can be poured out at any time. The world will not be ready for them. Normal life was going on. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And then suddenly the judgments took place. But on that same day, Before the judgments were poured out, the believers were rescued. So that's the picture Jesus gave. Now, we're going to go on and look at the apostles, um, James and and Peter and and John and the apostle Paul. We're going to see how their teaching exactly uh, agrees with Jesus' teaching, because they're building their teaching on Jesus' teaching. And they even use the same examples of Noah and Lot that Jesus used. We're going to go to James, first of all, James chapter 5. Uh, to to talk about this and first of all he's talking about the imminent judgment that is going to come in the last days upon the wicked He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you have kept back by fraud. Cry out, and the cries of the laborers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. The Lord of Sabaoth means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. In other words, the people who have been oppressed and abused, they are crying out for God for judgment. And God hears that judgment, and he's going to release judgments on this earth, and they're going to begin with the day of the Lord. He says you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury you've fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter so you've you've been fattening yourselves at other people's expense but actually the truth is like a farmer might fatten an animal it's actually for a day of f- slaughter so it, though it may seem unfair god is actually as it were fattened, they are being fattened for their day of judgment their day of slaughter that puts a different perspective on it you have condemned you have murdered the just the righteous He does not resist you. And and so he is talking about the fact that there is a judgment coming from God and you don't know when it's going to come. And and verse 7, he says, Therefore be patient, brethren. So what are the believers to be doing, who are often the ones who are being oppressed? Be patient. Stay faithful, brethren, he says, until the coming of the Lord. In other words, he's saying judgment time is coming, so be patient because uh, the Lord is coming, and when he comes, he, he will rescue you from that oppression and from that suffering. So in other words, the coming of the Lord will be to rescue the righteous from the evil ones, and it will also be to bring judgment on the evil ones. And he says we, we are to be patient. Wait patiently, because he could come at any time to do that. And then he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. And he's saying the reason why God has delayed is because he wants as many people to be saved as possible. He wants people who are not saved, who even the oppressors, that they would repent and be saved. He wants the precious fruit of the earth. And so he says, verse 8, You also therefore be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And that's imminence. He's saying the coming of the Lord is at hand. It could happen at any time. He's saying, hold on, stay faithful, because Jesus is coming any time now to rescue you. And then he applies it to believers as well. His coming for for believers is imminent. Therefore, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And this is a very strong picture of imminence. The, The picture is of the judge. He's got his door, his hand on the door handle. He's right at the door. He's right ready to enter the the judgment room. And that is the imminence of Christ's return. And he's saying to believers, if you are impatient that the Lord isn't going to come and, and, and do the judgment, and you get into the judge's seat and you start passing out judgments, especially against your brothers and sisters, Guess what's going to happen when Jesus, when the judge actually returns and finds you on the judge's seat, you're going to get the stricter judgment than anyone else. And and of course, this applies to believers because even though we have been delivered from eternal judgment and condemnation, we will still stand before the judgment seat of Christ, where we are. Li- we will give an account for our lives, and we will receive reward accordingly. And so, if we are judgmental and you know, spending our time pointing the finger against others rather than get, do, focusing on being faithful to God, we are going to face the judge on that day uh, and it won't be comfortable. You know, and so again, he's saying the judge is standing at the door. He's coming to judge the wicked. He's coming to rescue his own and to judge them for how they have lived their Christian lives. This is all imminent. Well, that's James. Now, let's go to Peter. Peter actually picks up Jesus' analogy of Noah's flood. And he uses that and and develops that. Uh, And he uses this picture of Noah's flood for the coming time of God's wrath on the earth, um, including the tribulation, the day of the Lord, wrath of God, uh, is pictured by Noah's flood let's go first to one Peter chapter three verse twenty, and he talks about then when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few that is eight souls were saved through water and then he says there is an, an also an antitype to this and 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 and, and what he's saying is there, there's a corresponding fulfillment as far as we're concerned of this picture the anti and it doesn't specify when he says there's an anti-type to this he doesn't specify what it is now some translations get it wrong I believe and um, they they well let, let me finish reading the verse first he says there is an anti-type to this this what well verse thirty twenty. 20 describes the salvation of the believers in Noah's time through being in the ark. And that's, I believe, what he's talking about. The corresponding to that salvation, he says, there is an antitype to this which now saves us. And then he says, baptism. Now, this is not baptism in water. This is our baptism into Christ. Okay, it's because we're in Christ that we're saved from the judgment of God. Uh, baptism in water is simply an outward signifying of that. And he confirms that. By when we read on, it says, it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh, it's not a physical baptism I'm talking about, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, some translators' translations interpret baptism as the antitype of the water, In other words, the the water of Noah, corresponding to that, is our water baptism. But that can't be right, you see, because the water in the days of Noah was the instrument of judgment, whereas the Antichrist is salvific. In other words, uh, the antitype is talking about our our salvation. So that that would be a mistaken translation. What verse 20 describes is the salvation of believers from the wrath of God through being in the ark, which is a type of Christ, God's provision for for their salvation, because the ark of Noah, you see, it bore the rain, the judgment fell on the ark, and those who were in the ark, you see, who by faith entered into the ark were, were safe under that protective covering. And so verse 21 is saying that the corresponding antitype to this salvation of Noah's family is our salvation when we were baptised into Christ, our ark of salvation, which happened when we put our trust in Christ and came under his covering. So this is not talking about water baptism, Um, but our spiritual baptism into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says that we, by one Spirit we were baptised into the body of Christ and were made to drink of the Spirit. And that's talking about our new birth. And so now in Christ we are being baptised into Christ and we're born again through the resurrection of Christ and so we are now have a good conscience before god because in christ there is now no condemnation hallelujah and all our sins are forgiven so therefore that's why it talks about the uh, the appeal the answer of a good conscience toward god through the resurrection of jesus christ the resurrection of jesus christ has been applied to our spirit and now we are we have a good conscience before god because we know Our sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ and there is now no condemnation for us. And so Noah's salvation in the ark from the wrath of God is a picture of our salvation in Christ which took place when we trusted in Christ. However, there is also a second possible application of this typology which must have been in Peter's mind as we're going to see from what he writes in 2 Peter in his second letter. And there he uses Noah's worldwide flood as a picture of the future judgment of the day of the Lord, when God's wrath will be poured out on the whole world. So we're not just delivered from the wrath of hell, but we're also delivered from the wrath of the day of the Lord, and the Noah illustration applies to that. In other words, if this typology is applicable, just as God provided a physical salvation from judgment through the ark for all the believers in the days of noah so god also is going to provide a physical salvation through christ for all believers on the earth and that's the rescue in the rapture and he's that's going to be a salvation from the wrath of the day of the lord and so we would expect this to be in peter's mind also as well as our salvation when we were born again that we are also going to be saved in the rapture on a physical way, a manifestation of our spiritual salvation. And and so we might expect this to be in Peter's mind because he is very familiar with Jesus' teaching, and Jesus used Noah's flood as a picture of the tribulation, and he used Noah's escape from judgment in the ark as a picture of the rapture before the tribulation. And also... Jesus used Lot's rescue. That's what we've seen previously. He used Lot's rescue from Sodom to make the very same point. So now we'll see that this is actually the case by going to 2 Peter, where he uses the exactly the same two examples of Noah and Lot. Let's go there to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. For if God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. So he's talking about Two things. He's talking about the judgment on the ancient world by the flood, but he's also talking about the salvation of the believers. But saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So there you've got two things. The flood, falling on the godly, but at the same time you've got the salvation of the believers. Then he goes to Lot's example, the exact analogies that Jesus used. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. In other words, these judgments of Noah's flood and of Sodom and Gomorrah are actually examples or types or pictures of the future judgment of God, which includes the day of the law, judgment, the tribulation. And that God is going to judge the world of the wicked. But at the same time that He did that, it says in verse 7, He delivered righteous Lot. So again, you've got this dual thing that the righteous are delivered before the judgment's poured out, and at the same time, the judgment is poured out. In one case, water, in the other case, fire. Uh, And it describes Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And here's his main point, verse 9, that the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So notice his main point here is that, number one, God is going to um, punish the wicked. He will. Okay. And when he does it, he does it suddenly without warning. The judgment is imminent. It was in the day of days of Noah, it was in the days of Lot. And God knows how to do that and he will do that. But he makes this point the Lord knows how to deliver the, the godly out of those out of that judgment. And that's what he did with Noah and Lot. Um, the key thought is that as with Noah and Lot, God knows how to separate the believers from the unbelievers before he moves in judgment. Now, th- this may not be entirely obvious what he's talking about because of the phrase used here, God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And and this is the word for trial or test, out of the trials or the tests. And it's the word perasmos. Now, we might just think he's just talking about now, in the, in the church age, that we go through trials and temptations just like everyone. Um, and here it says that he will deliver the godly out of the temptation. So we might think he's just talking about normal life. But if you look at the context, it's clear that he's not talking about the normal temptations and tests of this life. He's, the context is the divine judgments. That is going to fall in the tribulation. Uh, it's talking like Noah. he's comparing it to Noah's flood and the judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the, the, the parasmos that he's talking about, the actual judgments of God. And when he says he knows how to deliver the godly out of these temptations or trials, the context is the deliverance of Noah and the deliverance of Lot from these divine judgments. He's talking about the rapture. He will deliver the godly out of that, the trial and the judgment that is coming on the wicked. Because it would be unjust to pour his wrath on the righteous. It would be unjust. And uh, it's interestingly, in Revelation 3.10, we're going to see that, that God uses exactly the same term to describe the tribulation, perasmos. It's a time of trial that comes upon the whole world to test those who live upon the the earth. And and the basic test there is, will they repent while all this judgment is going on? Will they take that as the chance to repent and turn to God? Or will they harden their heart and reject God? It's a final test for mankind. So Peter is basically saying, God, as he did before, he's going to separate the believers from the unbelievers, before the final end-time judgment of the day of the Lord comes. As God delivered Noah and Lot from judgment by removing them from the scene of judgment before it begins, so he will deliver the righteous from the coming day of the Lord, which is a time of test and trial for all who live on the face of the earth. As these past judgments fell suddenly without warning, so will the day of the Lord come suddenly. And that's what we mean by imminence and the rescue of the righteous will happen at the same time. He's not talking about the normal temptations we all face, because the context is comparing this time of trial from which the godly will be delivered with Noah's flood and the destruction of Sodom, a time of divine wrath. And, and that Revelation 3.11, which I referred to, let me read that. Because you have kept my command to persevere, this is the true church, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, peresmos, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. In other words, he says he's going to keep, the church, not just from the trial. He will not just protect us through the trial. He will keep us from the hour of trial. He'll keep us from the very time period itself. How is he going to do that in the rapture? Because it says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hallelujah. He's coming quickly to rapture his church before the time of trial. And the rapture is also when we will receive our crowns. That's the judgment seat of Christ. That's why he says, stay faithful, that no one take your crown because the judgment day is coming for your, for your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. All right. Well, this is confirmed in two Peter three where he writes, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. In, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, he's reminding us of Noah and of Lot, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, in the church age, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Again, the discussion is the coming of the Lord. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, this is describing the coming before the Lord. uh, The coming of the Lord in the rapture, actually, to initiate the judgments. Because he is saying normal life is going on. These scoffers are saying everything's the same as it always was, everything's normal. So this is talking about the coming of the Lord that's imminent, that will take place when normal life is going on not at the end of the tribulation but at the end of the church age for this they willingly forget that by the word of the lord the heavens that were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world was then that existed that then existed perished being flooded by water he's reminding them of jesus teaching that life was going on as normal before the flood when noah was warning them that of coming judgment but they were scoffing. They laughed at him. And then the flood suddenly came. And he says it's going to be the same again. People are going to be scoffing when people warn them about this coming judgment, this day of the Lord, this tribulation. And and then suddenly God is going to judge. And that's going to happen uh, at any time. And um, he says if it seems like he's delaying, It says, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The only reason Jesus has delayed his judgment is that he wants as many people to be saved as possible. But watch this, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Notice he's comparing the flood of Noah in Noah's time He's comparing it with the day of the Lord. Just as the flood came suddenly, a worldwide judgment on the earth, so the day of the Lord, the tribulation, is going to come suddenly, and it's going to come as a thief in the night. It's going to be imminent. It's going to take the world by surprise, just like a thief coming in the night. And if they're not ready, they'll experience him as a thief. They'll experience loss because the judgments of the tribulation will now ravage their life uh, upon the earth. And it says, the day of the Lord, the judgment is coming. And it will start with the tribulation that will come suddenly, just like Noah's flood came suddenly. And then he describes the end of the day of the Lord, the ultimate judgment. It says, in which, that is, at the end of the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation is the dark part of the day of the Lord, then the millennium is the time of light. But it's still the day of the Lord, because the Lord is reigning. Uh, And at the end of the thousand years, he then describes what's going to happen. The final destruction of this universe, the great white throne judgment, in which then all unbelievers are cast in the lake of the fire. And so he says, at the end of which, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. And so he's saying God's time of judgment The tribulation, the day of the Lord, will fall suddenly on an unbelieving world like a thief. That's imminence. But God also has an imminent rescue for the believers, as with Noah and Lot, because the Lord knows how to deliver the the godly out of the time of trial, the tribulation, and to reserve the unjust under punishment, the punishment of the day of the Lord. Well, next time we're going to finish this series by looking at what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 37 qh You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products, where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.